message today is entitled, God is Near. On Tuesday, we'll be holding a funeral service for Don Yarrington, who passed away at his home on Wednesday. I'm really going to miss him. He had such a jovial spirit about him. He was always the first person that I would come down off here and greet during the welcome time. And every time he would stand straight up, shake my hand, and in his characteristic voice with a little smile, he would say, it's better to be seen than to be shown. Every Sunday he would comment on how much he enjoyed the service, and you could tell he was absolutely genuine in his comments as he was in his life. And then, of course, he would let me know that it's time to head over to Fred's to have his dish of liver and onions. I know that most of you knew him a lot longer than we did. But it's tough for all of us when someone in our lives passes. In fact, this has been quite a year already. And the time that we've been here since late June, eight members or friends of First Congregational Church have gone on to be with the Lord. Ron Salmon, Barb Mayer, Jim Witt's mother, mother-in-law, Dave Doherty, Max and Beulah Bradley, Roger Mepham, Leona Rogers, and now Don Yarrington. How do you make sense of this? Is there any sense even to be made We've often often been just on the heels of grieving for one in our church family when another moves on to eternity. And even though you have all shared a whole lot more memories of these great people than we have, I'd be lying to tell you that it doesn't bother me because it does. It does a lot. Nancy and mine, our hearts break for this family into whom we've been grafted. Anytime you lose a family member whether he or she was in your biological family or in the family of God, it's tough. Sometimes it's been a long time coming and sometimes it hits you like a ton of bricks. Which was how I felt when I first heard about Don a couple days ago. We know that as believers, we have this hope, this blessed assurance that when we pass from this life, God wipes away every tears from our eyes There's no more pain, no suffering, and no more death. He gives us a new body, and we enter into paradise with our Lord. These are very comforting and encouraging truths that we hold on to and are thankful for that our loved ones are no longer in pain. Yet it doesn't take away the pain that we have as we go on with our lives without our loved ones. And so what does God have to say during times like these? Actually, He has a lot to say. Psalm 34, verse 18. says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. One of the most comforting truths about God, our Heavenly Father, is that first and foremost, He truly cares about each and every one of us and our well-being. 
When we are hurting, He is drawn to us. When His good friend Lazarus died, Jesus wept. He has emotions just like us. He is close to the brokenhearted. Close enough to just hear our cries. To not judge us for our anger or confusion or doubts. Close enough to shoulder our burdens and to feel our pain. He doesn't come to judge us or tell us to get over it. He understands that there are times when simply the reassurance of His presence is all that we need. When we are hurting, God is near. Today, if your heart is broken over Don or a loved one in your life that you still dearly miss, understand that God is close to you right now. He knows your pain because you belong to Him. He is your Father and you are His beloved child. And at times like these where we struggle to say the right words, God gives us a simple word for guidance. In Psalm 46.10, He says, Be still and know that I am God. In other words, don't worry about what to say or what to think or how to react. Just stop and be still for a moment and then you will know God in your spirit and in your mind and in your soul and in your life. Don't for one minute, don't for one minute think that your pain escapes God's notice. For even though He is God, He has felt greater pain than we could ever imagine. For God loved us so much that He came to earth and took care of a problem in person. He came to us as fully God and yet as fully man. Meaning He fully submitted to the limitations of an earthly body so that He could walk in our shoes. So that He could know our pain. So that He could become attuned with our sufferings and be tempted in every way that we have been and yet He did not sin. He became vulnerable so that He could relate to us. He became one of us so He could lead us home. Hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth, the Isaiah prophesied about the pain that Jesus would endure for us. It's in Isaiah 53, starting at verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised. And did not, we did not esteem Him. Verse 4, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. This is one who knows pain and separation. Because He went through Calvary, Jesus can relate to our losses greater than we ever will realize. 
And yet too often, we forget just how much pain God went through to walk out His plan of redeeming mankind. Too often we recall the details of the events, but we, we don't understand it from God's perspective. We look at how it relates to us and what it means to us, but have you ever thought what it meant to God? As a father, we know that the Lord, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. But this Lenten season, God invites us to know His pain. To know Jesus in His suffering. And to draw close to Him when His heart was broken as He willingly gave His life for us. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, I know we all know this passage as the cornerstone of God's love for us, but do we really understand it from God's perspective? Do we really understand how much pain He went through to make a way for all of us? Has this passage just become a verse that you can say by heart, but it doesn't break your heart when you read it because it has become too familiar? Well, allow me to share with you today a modern-day parable that may help us see what God went through when He opened Himself up to unbelievable pain so that He could demonstrate a love like the world had never known. God can relate to each of our lives and our pain in a way much greater than any of us realize. Whether you've heard this parable before or not, I invite you to listen now an attempt to understand what God willingly did, what He willingly went through to make a way for His heart, to us to come to His heart. I will warn you that this parable will break your heart. If you truly desire to know the depth of God's love for you, in the same way that He desires that each of us to be inextricably drawn to Him through the truth in John 3.16. Here's the parable. John Griffith was in his early 20s. He was newly married and full of optimism. Along with his lovely wife, he had been blessed with a beautiful baby boy. He was living the American dream. But then came 1929 and the great stock market crash and the shattering of the American economy that devastated John's dreams. The winds that howled through Oklahoma were strangely symbolic of the gale force that was sweeping away his hopes and dreams. And so brokenhearted, John packed up his few possessions and with his wife and his little son headed east in an old model Ford. They made their way to the edge of the mighty Mississippi River where John found a job tending one of the great railroad bridges there. Day after day, John would sit in the control room and direct the enormous gears of the immense bridge over the mighty river. He would look wistfully as bulky barges and splendid ships glided gracefully under the bridge as it was elevated. Each day he looked on sadly as those ships carried with them 
his shattered dreams and visions of far-off places and exotic destinations. It wasn't until 1937 that a new dream began to be birthed in John's heart. His young son was now eight years old and John had begun to catch a vision for a new life. A life in which his little son would work shoulder to shoulder with him. The first day of this new life dawned and brought with it new hope and fresh purpose. Excitedly, they packed their lunches and they headed off towards the immense bridge. His son saw the immense bridge and the giant ships and he looked on in wide-eyed amazement as his dad pressed down the huge lever that raised and lowered the vast bridge. As he watched, he thought that his father must surely be the greatest man alive. He marveled that his dad could single-handedly control the movements of such a large structure. Well, before they knew it, noontime had arrived. John had just elevated the bridge and allowed some scheduled ships to pass through. And then taking his son by the hand, they headed off down the bridge platform to the bank to have lunch. As they ate, John told his son about in vivid detail about stories of these ships and the marvelous destinations that they were heading towards. Enveloped in a world of thought, he related story after story with his son hanging on every word. And then suddenly in the midst of telling a tale about the time that the river had overflowed its banks, John and his son were startled back to reality by the shrieking whistle of a distant train. Looking at his watch in disbelief, John saw that it was already 107. Immediately he remembered that the bridge was still raised and that the Memphis Express would be by in just minutes. In the calmest tone he could muster, he instructed his son, stay put, don't move. Quickly John leapt to his feet and he jumped onto the catwalk and his precious seconds flew by. He ran at full tilt to the steer to the steer ladder leading to the control house. Once in, he searched the river to make sure no ships were in sight. And then as he had been trained to do, he looked straight down beneath the bridge to make certain that nothing was below. And as his eyes moved downward, he saw something so horrifying that his heart froze in his chest. For there below him, in the massive gearbox that housed the colossal gears that moved the gigantic bridge, was his beloved son. Apparently his son had tried to follow his dad, but had fallen off the catwalk. Even now he was wedged between the teeth of two main cogs in the gearbox. Although he appeared to be conscious, John could see that his son's leg had already begun to bleed. But then an even more horrifying thought flashed through his mind. Lowering the bridge would mean killing the apple of his eye. Panicked, his mind searched in every direction, frantically looking for a solution. In his mind's eye, he saw himself grabbing a coiled rope, climbing down the ladder, running down the catwalk, securing the rope, sliding down toward his son, pulling him back to safety. Then in an instant, he would move back towards the control lever and thrust it down just in time for the oncoming train. Yet as soon as these thoughts appeared, he realized the futility of his plan. Instantly he knew there just wouldn't be enough time. 
Frustration began to beat on John's brow. Terror written over every inch of his face. His mind darted here and there, vainly searching for yet another solution. His agonized mind considered the 400 people that were moving closer and closer to the bridge. Soon the train would come roaring out of the trees with tremendous speed. But this was his son. His only son. His pride. His joy. He knew in a moment there was only one thing to do. He knew he would have to do it. And so burying his face in his left arm, he plunged down the lever. The cries of his son were quickly drowned out by the relentless sound of the bridge as it ground slowly into position. With only seconds to spare, the Memphis Express with 400 passengers roared out of the trees and across the mighty bridge. John Griffith lifted his tear-stained face and he looked out the windows at the passing train. A businessman was reading the morning newspaper. A uniformed conductor was glancing nonchalantly at his large vest pocket watch. Ladies were already sipping their afternoon tea in dining cars. A small boy looking strangely like his own son pushed a long thin spoon into a large dish of ice cream. Many of the passengers seemed to be engaged in idle conversation and careless laughter. No one even looked his way. No one even cast a glance at the giant gearbox that now housed his hopes and dreams. In anguish, he pounded on the glass of the control box in the control room, and he cried out, What's the matter with you people? Don't you know? Don't you care? Don't you know that I sacrificed my son for you? What's wrong with you? No one answered. No one heard. No one even looked. Not one of them seemed to care. And then as suddenly as it had happened, it was over. The train disappeared, moving rapidly across the bridge and out of over the horizon. It's very hard to tell or to hear this story without being moved by emotion. For this is but a faint glimpse of what God the Father did in sacrificing His own sons to atone for the sins of the world. His Word should break our heart. It should move us. For that is love from our Heavenly Father. Unlike the Memphis Express, however, an express that caught John Griffith by surprise, God in His great love and according to His sovereign will and purpose, determined ahead of time to sacrifice His Son so that we might live. Not only so, but the consummate love of Christ is demonstrated in that He was not accidentally caught as was John's Son. Rather, Jesus willingly sacrificed His life for the sins of mankind. And for this reason, we remember throughout the year, and particularly during this upcoming Lenten season, we remember the broken body, the shed blood, the death of our Savior. 
as Jesus died for our sins, that we might rise again with Him. That is the hope that we hold on to. Yes, God was more acquainted with pain, with loss, with suffering, and with anguish than we will ever know. This is why He cares so deeply for all of us when we are hurting. When we are in pain, God is near. It is God's hope that we would be drawn to Him during this season of preparation and renewal. That we would take the time to be still and to know that He is God. That He loves each and every one of us and that He has come to comfort and to strengthen and to embrace each and every one of us dearly beloved. That's the message of salvation. That we didn't deserve any of it. But He came near to us to take the pain, to take the punishment, to take something that we deserved was all put on Jesus so that He could put what He deserved, His righteousness, upon us. It is the hope as we enter into the Lenten season that we identify with Jesus through His death, through His burial, and ultimately through His resurrection, knowing that He will resurrect us into eternity with Him. We will be beginning the Lenten season this Wednesday with a solemn service of dedication and repentance at 7 o'clock p.m. to prepare our hearts and minds remembering the greatest sacrifice of all time of Jesus willingly dying for us. Please join us as a church family if you can. This Wednesday, and then after that each Thursday evening through Lent, as we discover the journey that Jesus took to and through the cross for us. Song of reflection I wanted to share with you is a meaningful song. It's called Jesus, Son of God. <clears throat> 